Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. All these reasons that he was okay to dismay and despair. But David said one thing changed all of that and one thing kept him from going to that place and that was this. Even though everything I saw would have led me to a place of despair, I believed I would see his goodness in the land of the living. And it was years before he actually saw it. Years. Not days, not weeks, not months, not a year. It was years. Knowing that he's the rightful king. Knowing that the one who sits on the throne no longer carries the anointing of the Father. Knowing that the one who sits on the throne no longer is God's chosen person. He's been anointed by a prophet. He said, the anointing has left him and God has now placed you. You are now his man. And the same prophet that anointed Saul anointed David with the same mantle to be the king over the people of Israel. Hey guys, in back there in the, in the foyer, there's some seats up here. I know it's hard to see during worship sometimes, but there's some seats if you guys want to come in here. There's some rows that have quite a few spaces open. Um, and the front row's always open. God's favorites sit on the front row. I'm just kidding. Well, they do, because we're all his favorites, right? That's the crazy thing about the Father, is that everybody can be his favorite. Right? Every single one of us can be his favorite. And so, so David had all those reasons. Everything in the world said one thing, but his belief in the character and nature of the Father said another thing. And he chose to believe the one thing over every other thing. And, and, and I promise you there's going to be times in your life, and there's probably some people sitting in here right now that can identify with that, that you look around, and in the natural, the things that you see would all lead you to one conclusion, but there's that word from God that leads you to another. And you're saying, I know based on what I see. I know based on reasoning and intellect and logic and what everybody that is sane and rational in the world would tell me, I should believe this. But there's this little voice haunting me in the back of my head that says, yeah, but that's not God. That's not His best. Yeah, but there's more. There's something better. Don't give up. Don't stop fighting. Don't stop believing. Don't give in. Don't settle for less than Jesus hung on a cross and died for you to have. Don't do it. Don't settle. Don't settle in for just good. Like, that's awesome. Celebrate good. And then keep pressing in for great. Because He always has more. There's always more of Him that you can discover. Never settle. Because there's always something else that you can find in Him. There's always something else that you can discover that Jesus gave His very life for. He thought your life was worth giving His for. And if your life doesn't look good right now, it's not the life that He saw when He gave His life on a cross. Because He didn't give His life so that you could be defeated and live your life suffering for the rest of your life. Because he said you will be blessed when you come and blessed as you go. The head and not the tail, above and not beneath. Blessed in the city, blessed in the field. He said that you would be more than a conqueror. He said that you are above and not beneath. Listen, these are all things that he said. That's not a prosperity, feel-good gospel. It's the gospel. The good news. That's what the gospel means. If the news isn't good, it's not the gospel. That means so there may be something that's not good, but it means it's not the end. It's not the final word because the gospel's good news. Good news. It should make us smile. Like we should wake up in the morning happy and in a good mood because we have the good news. We have the hope of the world inside of us. And if we walk around looking like we've been beat with sticks 
And then we tell people, you want the good news? I don't want anything to do with your good news. Because it made your face look like that. Seriously. It's like, if we walk around miserable, yet we're supposed to be the vessels of God. The very presence of God. The God of the universe lives and dwells inside of me. That it was His good pleasure to make His home inside of me. No longer was he, was he content with living in tents and vessels made with earthly hands. But now he came and took up residence inside of humanity. Jesus died so that he could get his life back inside of us. And if we walk around looking miserable 24-7, I'm not talking about put a fake smile on your face. I'm saying if I don't want to smile, it's because there's something that I don't know and I'm going to get with him until I hear what I need to hear so that that morning turns into dancing. It's not fake it till you make it. It's if I'm not doing well, then there's something that I'm not believing or something that I don't understand that I need to get alone with Him and I need to find in the Word. Not just put a fake smile on and say, everything's great, bro. No, I'm doing awesome. It's like, no, you're standing in fire ants. (laughs) Oh, those don't sting. Yeah, they do. That's part of the curse. There's a simple solution. Don't stand there and try to put a fake smile on. Get out of the fire ants. Don't just stand there and being in, in, a, in a situation that's making you miserable that God hasn't called you to stand in and think you're suffering for Jesus. Sometimes you're suffering for stupidity and ignorance. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. That's what Peter said. He said, look, count it all joy. Or James said, count it all joy when you suffer these things for, for righteous reasons. Peter said, consider it an honor if you're counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. But let none of you glory in suffering for sin. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, don't take it as a badge of honor when living like hell produces hell in your life. Don't be like, oh yeah, no, this is just my cross to carry. No, it's not. Jesus died on a cross for you to be set free from that stuff, not for you to carry that around and brag about it. Find out, like, is the, is the life that I'm living because, uh, is it, am I seeing the wages of sin in my life, which is death? Or is it actually that I'm looking, look, living and looking so much like Jesus that a world that hates him hates me too? Because that's what we're to glory in. That's where we take pleasure in to say, uh, it is an honor to be counted worthy to be scorned by the people who scorn Jesus because my life looks so much like his that the people that hate him hate me too because we look alike. Not the consequence of sin. That's time to repent, not rejoice. Yeah. You guys are saving it all for the barbecue, aren't you? <laughs> I can tell. Because you guys are, are amening way less good than I'm preaching. <laughs> I feel the Spirit of God on it. I, it's not me. I didn't get up here planning to say that stuff. It's nowhere in my notes. I can say that. And smile. So I have the gospel and it's good news. No, but really, like, here's the thing. You, you, look, at, you look at Jesus and people say, well, well Jesus wept and, and Jesus, you know, got angry and, and did these things. And, and there were times where that happened. And I'm not, so I'm not saying that there's never a time where you're going to actually feel sorrow for somebody. But Jesus wasn't on the hill crying for himself. He wasn't crying because he was miserable. 
he was weeping because he looked down and saw a people who were settling for a life way less than they were created for and they wouldn't receive what he was there to offer. His tears were not for himself. He wasn't on the hill going, oh my gosh, I need counseling. These people, they're wicked and evil and I don't think I can take this anymore. Oh, he's up on a hill looking down at the city and he knows what he carries. See, there should be times in our lives where we're so convinced of the good news that we carry that we actually weep for people when they won't receive it, not because we're hurt by them, but because we're hurt for them. Jesus is on a hill, on his knees, looking down over the city, and what's he saying? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stoned the prophets, how I would have loved to gather you under my wings like a mother hen does with her chicks, but you wouldn't let me. Why is he weeping? Not because he's rejected for his own sake. He's weeping because he understands their rejecting him is going to lead them down a path that's going to be so far below where they could live. How does he know that? Because he's convinced that he's the answer. And if we're convinced that he's the answer, there should be times where we believe we have the answer inside of us and we actually weep when people reject it. Not for ourselves, because Jesus said, if they hate you, it's because they hated me first. If they reject what you're saying, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. So why would you cry for yourself? Unless it's your gospel that you created on your own. But if it's the gospel that Jesus died for you to carry, then you don't cry for yourself. You weep for them. But even in that, there's joy. Why? Because you know that one person can turn their eyes towards the Father. One thing that you said could plant and, and bring forth fruit. One thing. One man sows, another waters. God gives the increase. In other words, there's going to be times where you sow and you never see the increase. But you can have joy even when you don't see it. That's why I said Jesus for the joy set before Him. He didn't stay on the hill weeping. He joyfully went to a cross believing that there was a day coming when every word that He had spoken would land on soil that would produce fruit. And so you can have joy even when people are rejecting you because you understand at least there's seed planted. At least there's a possibility where once there was dry, barren ground, now there's a seed that's gone forth and all it takes is another person coming along and someone watering that seed and God brings forth an increase and then someone else comes along and harvests and I may never be there to see the harvest, but I can believe that I was part of the process. And even if I don't see it in the moment, I can stand in faith and believe that the seed that went forth will produce fruit, that every word spoken by the Father will not return to Him void without accomplishing that which He sent it forth to do, because He said that. And if I'm speaking His word, then I can have the same confidence when I say it as when He said it, because His word is just as powerful in my mouth as in His, because it's His word that matters, not the carrier. It's why when men would prophesy, and Isaiah said, uh, Elijah said, he's, it's going, not going to rain anymore. Was Elijah so powerful as a person? No, it says Elijah, a man just like us, had faith and prayed and it didn't rain. Why? Because his belief in the Father and his speaking what the Father was saying was just as powerful as if God himself said it. Because he was yielded. It's the truth. He didn't have any superpower. He was a man like us. You know how often the disciples want to point that out? James made a very good point to say, Peter, He's writing to the church. This is Peter who when he walks, he said they would lay the sick along the sidewalk so that his shadow could pass over them and they would be healed. This Peter, writing to the church, says, to those who have attained a faith like ours. Not to those who want to be like us. 
Not to those who have a junior anointing. Not to those who are hoping one day to possibly get a portion of what I carry. Not to the lessers. Not to the normal people from the elite. He said, to those who have attained a faith like ours. That's how he starts there. What is he wanting to say? He's saying, don't look at me as any different than you. Because Jesus said, the things that I do, you will do, and greater things if you believe. So if Jesus put us on that level, Peter was certainly not going to take himself and raise him up higher than that so he says he wants us to know before he starts writing anything you have the same faith that we have you guys you have the same faith that we have to those who have attained a faith like ours why is he wanting to start the letter that way because he wants you to understand that everything he's encouraging you into is available to you just as much as it was available to him and that's a big deal to us but that would have been a real big deal to the church back in the day a really big deal you know why because they were the people who actually watched people get healed by a shadow. And can you imagine having a letter in front of you and being able to read it and seeing that this man whose shadow healed people is now telling you that you have the same thing that he has. Then he goes on, believing that all things pertaining to life and godliness have been freely given to us through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. What's he saying? He's saying you guys have everything that we have You have access to everything that we have and all of it is available through the knowledge of Jesus. Every single thing that you need for life and godliness, everything that God has ever called you to do, everything that God's ever asked you to do, the the ability to do it is available to you through the knowledge of Jesus. What's the one thing that Jesus can't do for you? He cannot seek himself for you. He said, if you knock, it'll be opened. If you ask, you will receive If you seek, you'll find. But what was the thing he said? If you then. If you ask, if you knock, if you seek, he cannot seek himself for you. He can encourage you on and he can show you where he's hiding. That's like it's this game of hide and seek, except Jesus wants to be found. His hiding spots like this. All he's saying is what? Just, just, just actually step towards me. Just give me your attention. It's not going to be hard to find me. It's not. There's a promise that you actually will find me. But there is something that's required of mine and I have to actually seek him. He wants to be found. He makes it easy to be found. He encourages us on. He's over there going, hey, I'm over here. You know, and all, but, but he still wants us to look. Why? Because he's after a relationship with us. He could give us everything apart from himself, but then we wouldn't have him. He's not interested in that. Way more than he's interested in anything you can do for him, he's interested in a relationship with you and knowing you and being known by you. Way more than anything that you can do for him. In fact, he's, well, that gets me to my message. I was wondering if we were going to get to it. We are. That's how it's 11. Oh, man, worship was short today. Um, Open your Bibles up real quick to John chapter 15. guys all know these verses that I'm about to read. They're, they're really famous verses, and, and, and so many people have read these and preached these and all that stuff, and there's a ton of good teaching out there on there, so I'm not going to try to reinvent that, but there's something in this that really has been standing out to me, and then when I had a conversation the other day with my wife and a friend of ours, and, um, and I kind of dug into it a little bit more again, so um, John chapter 15, verse 4. This is Jesus talking to the disciples. He says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them in the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this amazing day to gather together and and worship you and and hear from you and be spurred on and encouraged in the love and good deeds. And God, I just ask that everything I say today would be by your spirit, that it would be from your heart to my mouth, that our ears would be open to hear and our minds to understand and our hearts to receive, that our lives would be good soil, that the seed of your word would fall in the good soil of our lives and would produce fruit, that a world that does not know you, Father, would taste the fruit of our lives and know that you're good that they would taste and see your goodness by the fruit in our lives as we abide in you. And I just thank you for that. I thank you that it's your will. I thank you that it says, in this you are pleased that we bear much fruit. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus is saying, abide in me and you'll bear fruit, right? And it sounds good. All you have to do is just abide. And, and, and this whole thing, like there's this message of being versus doing. You know, you, have you ever heard of anyone say we're human beings, not human doings, right? That's like a... It's, it's kind of a, a common thing that gets tossed around a lot of times. And there's all these one-line gotcha things out there, you know, but the, like, I don't, I'm not really huge on one-liner Christianity because I think there's so much more to it than just one little line that says we're human beings, not human doings. And, and you just have to be. But, but you read this verse right here and it says, as you have loved, if I have also loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Why did Jesus say, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love? If all I have to do is just abide in his love and everything that wants to, it wants to happen will happen. Because there's a part of being that includes doing. One leads to the other, and they're not opposed to each other. It's not like doing is a bad word. It's not like doing is a, Jesus didn't think it was, right? In John chapter 14, verse 12, he said, Truly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than he's will, these will he do. Because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. In three verses, he uses the word do five times. It's not a dirty word. It's not a bad word. It doesn't make you a striver and it doesn't make you a legalist to think that there's things that you should be doing for the kingdom of God. So if that's the truth, then there has to be a balance, right? So turn turn to uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 38, and we're going to kind of stay on this story for a little bit. Um, This is the story of Mary and Martha. When I talk about Mary and Martha, what's the story that comes to mind? Anyone? There you go. Martha busy, Mary at his feet. You're right. That's the one we're going to. I just wanted to know if that's the one that came into everybody's mind. So Luke chapter 10, verse 38 says, Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered, her, answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. 
For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. And sometimes like we, we read this story, and I feel like when I've read this story in the past, we get hung up on the fact that, that Martha wanted to do all these things. And so when Martha bad, Mary good, Mary sat at the feet, Martha wanted to do all these things, and, and so Martha's bad and Mary's good. And that's kind of how we label them. And whenever we hear Mary and Martha, that's what kind of pops into our minds, right? Martha's the busy one that was doing the wrong thing, and Mary's the good one who was doing the right thing. The truth of the matter is, though, is that there was nothing wrong with the things that Martha wanted to do. They were good things. They were actually necessary things. Somebody at some point was going to have to do the things that she was doing. Maybe Mary and Martha at one point would have to do the things that that she was doing. So it wasn't that these things that were distracting her and that he said she were bothered by so many things. It wasn't that these were bad things. We have to understand that because sometimes we'll look at our lives and if we don't see any bad things, we don't see any biggie sins, we don't see any of that stuff, well, I used to do this and now I don't do that, and we'll think, well, I'm doing good. Because we judge, a, a lot of times we judge where we're at by the things that we're not doing. Or by the things that we haven't done. Or the things we've stopped doing. And so a lot of times we could look at this and we could kind of think Martha was doing bad things. But Martha was actually doing good things. And I think as we fall in love with Jesus and we really give Him our heart, the distraction of the enemy is usually never to take us into bad things. Because that stuff we've been set free from. Now you may try to tempt you in different things. But the majority of the time, I think for most of us, the temptation is going to be good things that take us away from the one thing. And so here's Martha, and and she kind of gets bugged. And she comes to him and says, look. And and it says she was seated at Jesus' feet, so Mary's listening to Martha talk. It's not like she pulled Jesus aside and said, hey, there's a lot of stuff that needs to go on. She's not doing anything, but you tell her. No, she walks in. Mary's sitting there. She says, don't you care? That she's doing nothing, making me do everything. Tell her to help me. Tell her to get up and help me. And Jesus looks at her and says, you're, you're distracted by all these things, by so many things, and she's chosen the one thing that's important. What was she doing? It says she was sitting at his feet and listening to his word. In other words, at that moment, Jesus was speaking. There was something that could only be understood and learned and caught by being in the room and listening while he was speaking that couldn't be heard when you were in the other room doing all these things. And this is what Jesus is trying to tell her. Listen, you're distracted by all those things. He didn't say those things were bad things. In fact, they were probably good things. They were necessary things. They were things that they would have to do at some point. What was he saying? Right now, I'm speaking. And right now, there's something more important than that. And she's chosen the more important thing. I'm not going to take that away from her. I'm not going to tell her to stop listening to me to go in there and do something that she could do later after I'm done speaking. So as I was reading through this, I thought, like, a few things stood out to me. One, there's always things that need to be done. Like if this, if this is about Jesus saying that the most important thing is spending time with Him and hearing His voice, then in our pursuit of that, there will always be other things that need to be done. I promise you. There's always something. And a lot of times, like I said, it's good things. 
It's not like, oh, there's always sin waiting to happen. No, there's always good things, necessary things, things that Jesus probably fully intends for you to do. There will always be things that need to be done. But there's times when those things are secondary because the one thing that's the most important is the thing that's most important at the moment, and that's being with Jesus and listening and hearing Him speak. So there's always going to be things that have to be done. And most of the time, like I said, when you have a good heart, it's with good motive. It's not evil. It's not like with, with evil intentions. It's not like you want to do bad and you want to do wrong. No, with a good heart and with a heart to serve and with a heart to actually be used by the Father and with compassion for people. In fact, the more in love you are with God and people, the easier it is if you're not intentional for you to be carried away by all these things. Because the enemy's never going to come to you and try to make you bitter at people when you're in love with God and with people. Not right away. Why? Because he would have to totally turn you and use every bit, stop every bit of your momentum and every bit of the way that you're running already and totally bring you to a stop, turn you around, and head you in another direction. Do you know how much energy that takes? If somebody's running across here right now, for me to stop them, turn them around, and get them to run the other way takes a whole lot more energy than for me to simply help them along in the way that they're already going a whole lot faster than they ever expected to. He's not going to come to you and try to make you bitter and angry at people right away. What he's going to try to do is come along and just encourage you into even more. And make you feel a little bit of guilt if you say no to anything. Make you feel a little bit of guilt if you see somebody that maybe needs something. And there's a bunch of people around, but it should be me. And I've got to go help them. And I've got to do this. Listen, I fell into that trap when I first started pastoring, just being honest with the best of intentions and with a pure heart because I loved people and I loved serving God, it was so easy for me to say yes to everything that was presented to me. The problem is, it started to come at the expense of the one thing. And I, I made a priority to spend time with Him. I did. But the problem was is that a lot of the times when I was spending time with Him, I didn't actually listen to what He was saying because if I would have listened to what He was saying, I would have heard Him say, Roy, you've got to slow down. You have to stop. You have to learn how to say no. Because every time I was saying yes to this, I was saying no to my family. I was saying no to my wife and I was saying no to my kids. And see, this is what I'm telling you is that He's not going to come and try to make you bitter at God and at people right away. He's going to come along and He's going to try to help you into just doing more and more and more and more. And then suddenly when something happens, when there's a failure or there's a, 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 a tragedy or there's some kind of falling out or you burn out or whatever, then He comes along. Now, because the momentum's no longer going that way, He comes along. And now because you're already headed down that road a little bit and you're starting to have these thoughts of, so this was the cost for following Jesus? My marriage, my relationship with my kids, my, time, my, my relationship with friends, or, you know, fill in the blank with your favorite thing that happens when people go after things more than they go after Him, even if it's in His name. And now bitterness can come where it once would have had no chance. Suddenly, there's a landing strip for bitterness because you've had this thing happen in your life and now you're saying, I, I gave my life to you and this is what I got in return? I answered the call and it cost me that? No, listen, that wasn't the price for answering the call. That was the price for letting the call become more important than the one thing that got you there in the beginning. He never intended for you to start one way and then finish it on your own. 
He intended for the thing that brought you to that place to be the thing that kept you in that place. And you got so busy doing all these things that you neglected the one thing. And you were in the kitchen doing dishes while he was speaking so you didn't hear the last thing that he said. It happened. And I had to actually prioritize. And I had to learn it's okay for me to say no. I had to learn, I actually have to schedule time alone with Him. Just like anything else, otherwise my schedule would be so full and I'd be trying to find it here and there. And it became my priority. I had to actually make a priority to spend time with my wife and my kids. It's not like I was like, oh, I don't want to spend time with them. It was just I was letting all these things and the pressures, and sometimes you can even feel guilt because you have a sincere heart and you feel like, oh, I have to help. You know, it's like you, 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 you want to, and without even realizing it, you're becoming the savior of everybody and you're the savior of nobody. Because literally, God spoke something to me. He said, Roy, there are millions of Christians in the world that can do what you're doing in every other area. In fact, there's hundreds of thousands of Christians here in Greenville County that could do everything that I was doing. There was only one Christian in Greenville County that could be a husband to my wife and to be a father to my children. And that was me. One. There was hundreds of thousands of Christians that could do all the things that I was busy doing. And it's not to say none of those things were things I was supposed to be doing, but they were never supposed to be done at the expense of the thing that he called me into to begin with. Never. There's always going to be stuff to do. Always. And I can't be the husband and the father to my wife and to my children if I'm not making a priority to spend time with him. It's impossible. I can do it for a season out of my own strength, but eventually I'll run out of my own strength and then I'll fail and I'll burn out and I'll crash. But if I'm constantly being filled, I'm constantly sitting at His feet, I'm constantly hearing Him speak, I'm constantly having that time with Him, that communion with Him, that enjoying just being His Son. Not for the sake of doing. Just enjoying it. The doing will flow naturally out of that. And I'll get way more done on accident than I ever did on purpose when I wasn't spending that time and I wasn't making that a priority. Some of you guys, you need to actually schedule time alone with Him into your schedule. I put it in my schedule like it's a meeting and people are like, hey, can you get together on this day? I can't at this time and I can't at that time. Oh, I can't. I could only do this time. I look, could I move things around and use that time that I was saying I could spend with them? No, I won't have the quiet time that I need during that time. Sorry, I can't. It's immovable. Why? Because I'm no good to you if I don't have that time. And I could sacrifice that time for the sake of being with somebody and making them happy for a week, but I can't actually continue to do it and be effective at doing what I'm called to do if I'm not getting this, the, what I need from Him who is the source. And pretty soon we can have lunch together, but it'll be useless because I won't have anything that you need because I haven't spent time with him and I don't even have what I need. Seriously. All these things aren't bad things all the time, but they are if they come at the expense of the thing that's good. I feel like this is really landing with some people right now. I just want to say that. Like, it, it's not legalistic. And it's not being Spirit-led to actually plan and prioritize and schedule time to spend with Him. What it's saying is, is, 
I recognize right now that tomorrow the most important thing in my life is to do this, so I'm going to make sure that happens before I make sure anything else happens. If nothing else happens after that, I'm okay, but that has to happen first. And then I can go do whatever it is that He's called me to do. Another thing I saw when I read through the story was people will always think that there's something else you should be or could be doing with your time or resources. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations and she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sisters left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. You notice how like she puts words into his mouth and she puts an assumption in his mouth? Like, if you cared, you would say this. You can't manipulate Jesus. Jesus doesn't fall for it and go, you're right, I do care, Mary. Oh, he looks at her and says, Martha, come on. He doesn't say this, but he's probably thinking, that's manipulation, and you know it. Because you're trying to get me into a position where if I care, I would do something, and you've decided what caring looks like. Don't ever let people decide what caring looks like in your life. Don't ever feel the pressure that people put on you. Well, if you cared, you would. I remember one time, this is no joke, we used to do a lot of homeless ministry, and we still, a lot of homeless ministry happens through this church, it's just not, we don't get together and do it organized as much as we used to, because people are doing stuff on their own a lot of times, and I think that's awesome. I mean, I do think there's awesome times of getting together and actually doing something corporately, and we're going to do some of that stuff coming up, but I think the most important thing is that we're actually becoming what we were when we were together when we're alone, because we're so much more effective that way, because then we're scattered throughout Greenville rather than in one place. And so what we used to do a lot of homeless ministry, and I, I, was not, I was naive, and I gave my phone number out to everybody. I promise, that thing rang off the hook. And one night, I was in bed with my wife. It's 11.30 at night, and the phone rang, and I didn't recognize the number, and I shouldn't have answered it, but I did. That was another thing I used to feel like. I used to feel like I had to be attached to this thing. I had to be constantly available. I had to return every text in a certain amount of time. I had to return every phone call in a certain amount of time. I had to answer every phone call that came unless there was an absolute reason that I couldn't. I felt like I had to. It wasn't the pressure anybody put on me. It was pressure I put on myself to be constantly available. So 11.30 at night, the phone rings. I pick it up. Hello? <laughs> it's a woman. Hey, is this Pastor Roy? Yes? Hey, Pastor Roy. Um, this is so-and-so, um, from under the bridge. And, and we, me and so-and-so and so-and-so, two other homeless people that I knew by name, um, came down here um, to Greenville, and we took the bus here, and we totally forgot about getting the bus back. And so now we're stuck, and it's like a mile and a half walk for us. And we're hungry, and we're wondering if you could pick up pizza and grape soda and bring it to us and then give us a ride. I'm thinking, What? Okay, for one, a mile and a half is not like forever to walk. For two, it's 11.30 at night. For three, I'm not bringing you pizza and grape soda. <laughs> and and the, what I got in response was, what about where the Bible says if your brother asks you to go a mile, go two? What about when it says if it asks for your shirt, give him your cloak? They knew the Bible. I'm thinking... You cherry-picked a few verses, and I could come back at you with so many, but instead I just said, I guess I'm just not that good. I didn't know what else to say. I'm in my underwear. 
It's late at night. They're capable of walking a mile and a half. But the response was, if you were a real Christian, if you were someone who, if you, how dare you, this is what one person told me another time, how dare you call yourself a pastor if you won't do fill in the blank. People will always put pressure and try to manipulate you to do what they want you to do. And if you're not careful, you'll let that work. And sometimes it's not even, it's way more subtle. Sometimes it's not someone telling you something ridiculous and then making a claim that you're not a Christian if you don't. Sometimes it's friends who put pressure on you to do something and make you feel, if you let them, like you're not a real friend if you don't do X, Y, or Z. Or that you're not following Jesus if you won't do what they think following Jesus looks like. Jesus will have nothing to do with it. He doesn't even bite for a second. He doesn't even respond to her and say, of course I care. But she's doing the more. He doesn't even respond. We would do well to be like Jesus and not feel the need to tell them, of course I care, but here's why I'm not going to tell her to do He doesn't even do it. He just says, Martha, you're worried about that. She's doing this. This is more important right now. I'm not going to take this away from her. Mark chapter 14, verse 3, it says, While he was in the home, he is Jesus, at the, at the home, well, he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume and pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her, but Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She's done a good deed to me, for you will always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them, but she will, does not always have me. You rise in both circumstances. Someone came to Jesus and said, what they're doing is not what they should be doing. And in both circumstances, the person coming to Him had motive of their own, because we find out in a different Gospel who the disciple was that said this money could have been given to the poor. Any guesses? The thief. Judas, who held the money bag and was a thief. What's he saying? If she would have given that money to Jesus, I would have had it, and then I could have actually done something with it, is what he's thinking. So he has his own interest in mind, not hers. He doesn't even care about hers. And he probably doesn't really care about the poor, because if he really cared about the poor, he wouldn't have been stealing the money that was supposed to go to the poor in the first place. But he has something that sounds really good. People come to you with stuff that sounds really good and try to make you feel bad for the way that you decide to spend your time or your resources. Listen to me. Most of the time it's because they have their own gain in mind. Most of the time it's because they see you giving somewhere or you spending somewhere at their expense and they're wishing it would have came to them rather than to where it went. And so they come to you and it sounds really good. Oh, why did you do that? You could have given the money to the poor. And Jesus said, listen to me. You're always going to have the poor with you. What was Jesus saying? He's saying, there's always going to be things to do. Always. But she chose the one thing that was important right now, and that was me. 
And then Martha, Martha's thinking for herself as well. I have to do all the work. If she would just stop doing that and stop spending time with Jesus, she could actually come help me work. What is she saying? What I'm doing is more important than what she's doing. Why? Because she didn't value spending time with Jesus the way that Martha did. Or the way that Mary did. If she did, she would have been at His feet too. You cannot let what people don't value destroy the value that you have for something that's important. Just because people don't understand and value it the same way that you do does not mean that you should not understand and value it the way that you do. In fact, if they knew what you knew, they'd be at His feet too. Instead, they don't understand why you would spend so much time there and they're thinking for themselves. They're thinking, well, she's spending time at His feet so she's not doing and what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, listen, just relax. You could come be at my feet too and then you could probably both go do the dishes and you both would have good attitudes and you both would joyfully do the dishes together because you'd be filled up with me and you would have heard the last word that came out of my mouth. And man doesn't live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of the Father. You'd be so full of life that you'd go in there and do the kitchen kitchen chores with joy instead of in there grumbling and complaining. Listen, if you want to serve Jesus instead of sitting at Jesus' feet in an instance, like maybe you spent your time with Him. That's fine, but don't do it grumbling. Because what's that proving? I'm doing something and other people don't notice what I'm doing and other people don't value what I'm doing and because they don't value what I'm doing and notice what I'm doing, they should not be doing what they're doing and they should be doing what I'm doing too. Come on. If you really are doing what God's called you to do, you can do it joyfully and it doesn't matter to you if anyone else does it or notices. The problem is so many people are doing things to be noticed. So many people are doing good things in a good name with a good face and you can tell all over them why they're doing it because they get so angry at everybody else that doesn't. I can see encouraging other people into what you're doing if you feel like it's a good work, but if they don't do what you're doing, it's okay. Maybe God's called them to do something else. You understand that when the three got called up to the mountain with Jesus, they didn't ridicule the other disciples that didn't go. Why? Jesus hadn't called them up to the mountain. They could have grumbled and complained the whole way up. Why do we get to climb this mountain? Why do we have to climb up here? It's so long. Jesus, can you stop already? All the other disciples don't have to. They're sitting around at a fire right now. They're, they're getting ready to cast out a demon and we're climbing a stupid mountain and I'm tired. Like the, you know, but here's the thing. They weren't doing it at the expense of other people and they weren't doing it begrudgingly. They knew Jesus called them to go and so something inside of them said, if Jesus is calling me to do this, there's something in it that's worth it and I want to do it. And they weren't even one bit worried about the fact that the other nine weren't. That's how you can tell that you've actually been with Jesus. Because when He calls you into something, you're not worried about the fact that the nine others aren't. You're worried and you're excited and your concentration is on Him and what He's called you into, believing that there's a reward at the top. Not begrudging the others who aren't coming. You guys okay? Okay. Alright, there we go. One thing I noticed in both those cases, neither of the people defended themselves because Jesus spoke. 
Martha comes in and hurls an accusation at Mary. Mary just is silent and lets Jesus defend her and lets Jesus speak on her behalf. The woman comes in, breaks the vial, they accuse her. It says they were, they were rebuking her. So they were talking to her, not just to Jesus. They were talking to her. They were directly confronting her. Mary's case, you can see, a little bit different because she came to Jesus, so of course Jesus answered. But in the case of the woman with the vial, it says they were rebuking the woman. She doesn't say one word in reply. She doesn't have to because Jesus speaks. We would do really well when people come to us when we know we're doing what the Father's called us to do, when we're pursuing the one thing and people come to us with ridicule or rebuke or with other things that we should be doing just to be silent and let Him speak on our behalf. Let our lives speak on our behalf because you know what? Sooner or later, those people will see the fruit of your life and they won't be able to deny it. And maybe if you haven't driven them away with a harsh answer, they'll come to you and ask you, why does your life look like this? Maybe it would be a whole lot easier for them to humble themselves and come talk to you if you haven't been harsh with them and put them in their place. And instead, you trust that the one who spoke on behalf of those two would speak on your behalf as well. That's a hard one for me. My natural instinct is to want to prove something. It's just part of the way that I'm wired. And if that's not submitted to the Lord, wanting to prove something's great when I'm in the Word and I'm studying and I'm seeking Him and I'm going after His truth. It's a horrible thing when I'm turning around and using that to belittle people or to set people straight or to put them in their place. Even good things, if they're not yielded to Him, can become bad things. Well, I just tell the truth. Yeah, but there's no love there. Well, they, it doesn't matter. The woman who broke the vial could have stood up and defended herself and she would have been absolutely 100% right. Instead, what did she do? She just kept washing his feet with her hair and her tears because she believed that was more important than being distracted and Jesus spoke on her behalf. I thought about the timing. Jesus said to the to the disciples when they were saying that money could have been given to the poor he said listen the poor will always be with you but I won't always be here there's a timing to this rhythm to this life that we live with Jesus it's like the disciples that went up on the mount of transfiguration with him if he would have said come away with me up to the top of the mountain and they would have said okay but first remember he called people into the kingdom and they said but first let me go do this but first let me go do that and Jesus said whoever puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom what was he saying he was saying listen you don't do this on your time schedule you do it on mine when I'm calling you to come and be away with me on top of the mountain don't tell me you will but you have to go cook dinner first because cooking dinner might be a good thing Cooking dinner might be a serving thing. Cooking dinner might be something that you normally do for everybody, but it's not what you're supposed to do when I say, let's go to the top of the mountain. And I've had to learn that in my life. A lot of the messages that I speak came because I would actually stop when I hear him speaking no matter what I'm doing. Even if I have to interrupt a conversation, say I have to use the bathroom, and I go in the bathroom, people probably think I'm crazy talking to myself. I'll go in a stall, I'll turn on my voice record notes, and I'll record a note to myself. I have tons of them. Why? Because I'm not going to put him on hold when he's speaking. And I'm not going to be rude. I'm not going to cancel the meeting and say, all right, and be, don't be spooky and like try to be super spiritual about it. Don't like when they're talking, be like, Shh. 
you know, reach across the table and put your finger on their lips. God is speaking. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that at all. You just say, hey, can you hold on a second? I have to go to the bathroom. You're not lying. You're going to the bathroom. You're not telling them I have to go to the bathroom and urinate. You just say, I have to go to the bathroom. You go to the bathroom and you write down. You write down. You, you, you make a voice memo. I do it all the time. It's just a quick thing to jog your memory so that when, you're, when you do have time, you can actually dig into it further because he's speaking in that moment. A lot of times in conversation with people, you'll hear God speak something through your mouth that you didn't know and it's something that you need to remember for later. Make a note of it. Tell the person. I've told people before. We've been talking. I said, hold on a second. I've got to write that down. I've never heard myself say that before. It's the truth. Because when he's speaking is when we need to be listening. See, because Martha could have done the dishes and came into the room and said, okay, now I'm ready. And Jesus could have been done speaking and Mary walked away with what she needed and Martha missed out because she put something else in place of the time that she should have been spending at his feet. They're not just interchangeable. It's not, you know, I know he never leaves us, he never forsakes us, but I promise you, if one of the disciples would have said to him, hold on, I don't want to go up to the mountain right now. They could have climbed that mountain every day for the rest of their lives and never seen what the other two that went up at the time that Jesus called them up there saw. They could have climbed it for the rest of their lives every day waiting to see Jesus and Moses and Elijah and seeing the glory of God and they would have never seen it because it wasn't happening except in that one moment when Jesus said, come with me to this place. I have something to show you. There's going to be times where he starts speaking you have to do what you have to do to get alone and listen. I promise. Listen, there's a way to do it, like I said, without being a jerk, without being rude, and without freaking people out. But when he's speaking, listen. Listen. You know what the crazy thing is? The more you make it a priority to get alone with him, the more you'll find out that he speaks during those times. I used to, back, in, back then I used to tell people God speaks to me in my sauna, and he did. I used to keep a pencil and paper, and the paper would always shrivel up, so then I'd rip apart soap boxes and write down notes on soap boxes. And I, had a lot of, I have a lot of messages that came from sitting in my sauna at 190 degrees, and all of a sudden God speaks. And I told people, God speaks to me in my sauna. It was only after a while that I started to realize, well, yeah, he does, because I force him to speak in my sauna, because that's the only time I actually get alone and I'm quiet, and there's not a bunch of other stuff around me. My phone doesn't work in the sauna. No one else likes it that hot. And I'm still and I'm quiet before him. What if I made a point to spend still quiet time without my phone and without other people around? wonder if he wouldn't speak during those times. And I wouldn't have to be running around in a 190 degree room wiping sweat off my eyes trying to see what I'm writing on a soggy piece of paper. I could actually sit there with a journal in front of me because I was prepared for it. Thanks, Carl. And then I thought about this and I thought, man, when you speak a message like this, there might be the temptation for people to think that you have to do something in order to get to a place with Him. Don't ever fall victim to thinking that you have to do something in order to get somewhere. Always do what you do from a place of knowing who you are, where you are, where He's called you to. There's not enough that you can do to earn something from Him. It's just the truth. He loves you. He cares about you. There, I, 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 this mentality sometimes 
confuses me because every Christian agrees before I was born again, there was not enough good that I could do that would make me holy, pure, blameless, upright in His sight. Well, if that's true, then wonder if it isn't also true that once I am born again, there's not enough that I could do wrong that would make me unholy, unpure. Why is the power to sin stronger than the power of Christ dying on the cross? Why is my ability to mess up stronger than His ability to get it right? Now, I'm not saying go out and just... I don't even have to explain that here. You guys understand. If you're following Him, do what you want to do because He's given you the desires of your heart. He said if you find your delight in Him, He would give you the desires of your heart. That's not saying find your delight in me and I'll give you everything you ask me for. He's saying find your delight in me and I'll actually put desires in your heart that actually bring you to a place of doing what I've called you to do. It's not, God, I'm going to delight in you today and then tonight I'm going to ask you for an airplane. That's not how it works. It's, God, I'm going to delight in you today and I'll find myself on my knees tonight praying the prayers that you'd want me to pray if I was actually seeking after your heart because you've changed the desires of my heart and what I want lines up with what you want for me. But I am saying, like, you're not doing this. You're not trying to spend time with Him for something. You're spending time with Him because you love Him. And if it's not because you love Him, it's just because you don't know Him. How could you not love a king like Jesus? How could you not love? How could you honestly look at the one who said, I will give my life for yours. You have no ability to live a sinless life and I do so. I'll live it for you and then I'll take your sin so that you can have the reward of my obedience. I'll suffer the consequence of your disobedience so you can have the reward of my obedience. Oh, and here's the thing without any guarantee that you'll ever actually accept what I'm dying for. For the chance at it, I'll do it. How could you not love Him? Want to know Him more? Want to spend time with Him? If you don't, it might be because you haven't spent time with Him, so you don't want to spend time with Him because the more you spend with Him, the more you'll want to spend with Him. I promise you. Well, I just don't feel like I'm getting anything. Good. You're not there to get something. You're just there to be with Him. If the only time I ever sat next to my wife and talked to her was when I wanted to get something, that would be awkward. That'd be weird. She'd know. And I might get less than I did if, if I wasn't doing that. What are you guys, what's so funny about that? What are you guys thinking about? I'm talking about back rubs and stuff. Come on. The Lord help their minds. No, but seriously, think about it. If the only time you ever spent with Him was you were expecting to receive something and you went away disappointed because you didn't receive something, were you with Him for Him or for what He could do? How can you be disappointed if your goal was to spend time with Him? I can never leave time spent with my wife disappointed by what I didn't receive because I'm not there to receive something. I'm there to spend time with her. And if that's what I'm there for, if I'm there to love her, and if I'm there to give to her, then I can walk away from that completely fulfilled every time because I got what I came for, which was time with her. And if I, she needs to speak something to me, she will. If he needs to speak something to you. Mary obviously needed to hear something from him because he was speaking. But there may be times when he's your best friend to the point that you can just be together and no one's saying anything, but you know that he's there and you're just enjoying being together with him and spending time with him and knowing he's there. Hopefully it's like that sometimes. 
hopefully it's not like a manipulation thing where it's like, okay, God, how much time do I got to spend before I start receiving these things? Calling your friend up like, hey, how many hours do you spend? Remember the other day when you were talking, you said you were spending time with the Lord and you felt like He spoke this to you. Like, how many hours in was that? An hour? I just spent two and I didn't get anything. That's not what it is. It's not a formula. Listen, He's a Father to be loved by, not a formula to be figured out. He wants relationship far more than He wants anything else that you could possibly offer Him. And once He has relationship, then you can go out and do the things that He did because you're actually walking in what He has for you. And you're never going to burn out because you're not doing it in your own strength. You're doing it in the strength of the Lord. The recipe for burnout, I promise you this, every time someone has burned out, it's this. Trying to live like Jesus in public without living like Jesus in private. 100% of the times, if someone burns out, it's because they were trying to live like Him in public without living like Him in private. And Jesus rose early in the morning and went to be alone. And Jesus stayed up all night praying while the disciples slept. And Jesus got up early as was His custom. And Jesus, and there's all these times where it talks about Jesus seeking out the Father, abiding in Him. So of course He always had whatever He needed in every situation He found Himself in. Why? Because He wasn't seeking the Father for the ability. He was seeking the Father so that He always had what He needed in the moment. When something comes up, Run to him and say, God, I, I, you know, I just, I need this. But you know what's even better is actually spending time with him on a daily basis. So when something comes up, you're already ready for it, and you have what you need in the moment, rather than having to go seek him for it. That's a better way to live. That's how Jesus lived. That's how I think he desires for us to live. I think that's it for today. We got food to eat. And I think there, <laughs> there's an amen. Thanks, Holloway. That was the best thing I said all day, huh? You just, you just earned your way to the next sermon. I'm just kidding. We do have food outside for us to eat. Listen, you guys, here's the thing. I, 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 I want to just reiterate this for you guys. There's always going to be other things to do. There's always going to be people that think there's something else you should be doing with your time and your resources. There's always going to be the temptation to say yes to everything at the expense of the one thing. Don't do it. Prioritize. If you have to schedule it, schedule it. Make it an immovable thing. I can't, when people ask, I've already said no to them because I've already said yes to him. I can't help it. I have to say no to you because I've already said yes to him and saying yes to you would mean I say no to him and I can't do that because he's the most important because he's the one that I really want more than anything in this world and I won't trade that for anything and if you think that I should be spending my time or my resources in a way other than the way that I feel like I should be with him that's okay but I'm not going to let that change me I'm not going to be manipulated Jesus wasn't. I'm not going to defend myself to you. I don't have to. I'll just trust that someday my life will prove everything that my words couldn't. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that it's you that called us into this intimate relationship with you, that it's your desire for us to be with you, that you want to be with us. 
God, that we would want to be with you is easy to understand. You're amazing. But that you would want to be with us blows my mind. But you do. I just ask today, God, that something in our hearts would be established. That this would be a stake in the ground, a flag planted on top of a, of a mountain that would say that we value time with you. So that when you're speaking, we want to be listening. That we value you above everything else. That we're never going to put doing above being, but we're always going to allow being to bring us into a place of doing. And God, I ask that for anyone in here right now that struggles with guilt and has a hard time saying no, that you would release them from that. That shame and guilt of saying no would be gone so that we would free time to say yes to you. Now, I'm not talking about becoming lazy people. Listen to me. I'm not talking about becoming lazy and doing nothing. I'm saying that if there's things that are keeping you from spending time with Him, you have to learn at some point to be able to say no. And it's okay. It's okay. Because sooner or later, if you don't say no to one person, you're going to have to say no to everybody because you'll be of no value to anyone if you're not spending time with Him. God, I just ask that we would believe that that any shame and guilt that anything we're doing out of shame or guilt or people's urging and not because you've spoken Jesus said I only do what I see the Father doing and these words I speak are not my own but I speak what I hear the Father say God if there's anything we're doing outside of that realm that you would help us to cut that out of our lives and we would get back to doing only what you've called us to do and being only who you've called us to be in Jesus name Amen